Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. I went to the movies last night, Matt. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I like going to the movies. Yeah, me too. And, you know, it's been, uh, this is not a joke. I haven't gone to the movies since Liza was born. I think we talked about that recently because we were talking about, uh, good dates to go on in Asheville, which oh, of course, yeah. which of course right. is a good topic that applies to everyone who listens to this podcast. <laughs> everyone wants to listen <laughs> Good to date spots right. in Asheville. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, we were saying that there's there's Asheville Brewing Company where you can go get uh, a nice craft beer and sit and watch a movie in their theater, and you mm-hmm. pay like three bucks mm-hmm. for a ticket. Did you go to that or the, or the Carolina, one of those theaters where you can get some get some good grub? No, it actually, it wasn't a date. It was a out, an outing with uh, a good buddy of mine. We went to the Grail movie house and we saw the Free Solo. Have you heard about this? No, I have not. Doug. It sounds like one of those uh, one of those independent movies that are all the rage these days. <laughs> that, <laughs> it act like they have a low budget, but they actually put a lot of money into it. <laughs> well, this was this was a this was actually a documentary. It was done by the National Geographic, so I'm sure there was plenty of money involved in all this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was about uh, I think his his name's Alex. Honold, um, who did a free solo climb of El Capitan, the like rock face in Yosemite that's like three thousand feet tall. Okay. Um, and so free solo is when you when you climb without any ropes, you just kind of do it wow. without any assistance. And uh, it was absolutely insane. It, I had been reading about <laughs> how this was like the best adventure film ever made or, you know, the best climbing film ever, ever made. And I'm not really a big climber. I, I think it's fun, but you know, I don't, I don't really do it ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but Oh my God, man, this was, it was so inspiring. And in like this, like I want to go out and do something crazy. <laughs> yeah. and badass. Not like this, you know, I mean, this is, you know, he's like hanging 3000 feet above the, right. the ground, right. you know, with and any little tiny mistake would literally kill him yeah um but i don't know it's just it was really cool and side note he's vegetarian oh yeah yeah we should get him on the podcast we could we could we could get him on the podcast <laughs> we do a lot of saying we should get some people on the podcast and then never follow up anything, but... <laughs> never do. uh yeah. that's cool i i think that's actually really neat i think so when you said it inspired you to do something crazy did you mean like do something that seems really hard to do or do something that is really dangerous no, like something that's hard to do. Like, you know, he, he's kind of been obsessing over this route and and doing this for, for years and, and the amount of like time he spent on that wall with ropes, you know, mastering every single uh-huh. every single hold and like, you know, knowing the route back and forth. Um, you know, I just, I don't know, like it got me excited to do something like that where I was just like pouring a bunch of energy into something, you know, right, into the planning right. and the execution of, of something really big and, and challenging. So if you can do the whole thing with ropes, like if it's feasible to get the ropes out there, right? It's not like it's not like something about this mountain prevents it from, or this face prevents it from being climbed with ropes, right? Right. It seems a little weird to me that you would just do the whole thing with ropes, not maybe not ever relying on them, and then one time go for it without them. Like, what's the point? <laughs> um. I, well, I don't know. That's a good. That's a good question. I mean, I, I I would get if if this rope was if something about this made it infeasible to even put ropes out there, right? Like yeah. the face, you can't chop the things into or whatever. You know, it sounds, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think there's something sexy and freeing about you know about doing it like just you and the rock and no gear. 
Yeah, of no. course there is. Of course there is. It just seems strange to me that you would that you would practice and say, "Okay, I'm finally doing it now. Let's get the cameras out." I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> it's cool. I, I, I mean, not trying to take away from it. It is cool. That's really yeah. neat. And climbing cool. is one of those one of those experiences I talked about in that flow book that I read, mm-hmm. where when when you do have that, you know, like nothing else, that that makes you really have to focus only on that one activity, right? Right. Ready to die. right. Well, and and I think and that that's that's kind of what he talks about is that when you're free soloing, you're so in the zone because every move is has to be exactly precise. Whereas when you have the ropes, you know that you know if you fall, it's it's not going to be that big of a deal. Right. Um, and so you you take more risks and you kind of, I don't know, you're you're not as focused in the same way. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's the appeal to it. But yeah, definitely. you should watch the trailer, Free Solo. It is. Uh, it's called Free it Solo. Is, that's the movie. Uh huh. Okay. Um, it's I will. That absolutely cool. mind blowing. Yeah. You know what else you can find these days on YouTube? You can find a ton of people who do really really dumb things that you think that's the dumbest thing in the world that that person could have just died and they did that but instead they didn't because they you know i guess they've practiced it but they just just for the sake of getting on youtube and getting attention they'll ride their bike along the railing like off the roof of a building oh yeah i have seen or like trials riding type bike stuff just crazy stuff where i mean it takes an insane amount of skill and focus and practice to do it but i just i mean there must be just so many people who just die from it Right, and like hanging off of like uh, <laughs> yeah. skyscrapers and stuff. Yeah, I feel like I've yeah. seen some of that stuff. I that does not like that. Those videos. I don't know why that feels so much different than. Those yeah, I know what video, you mean. It's just not appealing to me at all. No, like, me neither. I I watch it and I feel sick, and I'm like, I just turn it off. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. I but I there is a difference between that and what what you the movie you know free solo that just seems much different, much yeah. more interesting for some reason. So anyway. I uh, it just it, it got me inspired to do something epic. So, we should, cool. We That's a good feeling. Epic. I like yeah. that. Anything that you know gets that feeling going is a good thing, as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned. So I'll check it out. <laughs> like that. Yeah. Uh, good. Okay. Let's see. So you went on that little date. <laughs> yeah, a date with my friend. And okay. actually, I, I I started thinking about it because uh, another kind of little tidbit here. If we're gonna just. List mm-hmm. off random things that get me excited. Um, is we went to my favorite sushi restaurant beforehand because it's this place. We you I've, I've pointed you there before. I don't know if you've ever gone and actually gotten the sushi, but mm-hmm. um, what's it called? They have it's called Meiwa and or Miwa. I think it's Meiwa. They um, not Heiwa, not the one in Lexington. No. Okay. Um, Heiwa, maybe it is across from Rosetta's. Yeah. Oh yeah. Heiwa? I think so. No. Well, it's called Heiwa. <laughs> and <laughs> and they have like like three or four different vegan sushi rolls yeah. and they and most of them have almond butter in them, which sounds absolutely bizarre and gross, <laughs> but it's so good. It is so good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've been there once and I I kind of do remember the almond butter options. I don't mm-hmm. remember I don't remember how it was, but uh yeah, it's like avocado and Tempeh and almond butter in a sushi roll, uh-huh. and and you think I don't know about that. That sounds really weird, but there's something about the sweetness of the almond butter, and like the fat from the oil. I guess it's just so good. Really yeah, good. I think right. It sounds a little weird, but you know, there's there are peanut butter, uh, peanut butter and sriracha type Asian dishes you might make. Sure, sauces. yeah, that's true. So that kind of makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. I was hoping that you were going to go to because near Grail House is uh, is Little B Thai, right? Yeah, it's like right next to. It. I've never been there. Oh, you got to go there. That's the best Thai food you can get. Really? By far. Yeah. 
Oh, no way. It's a little chalkboard menu, changes every day, and small place, always several vegan options. Huh. I wish I would have known that. Next time. I, I, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Did you get a beer at, uh, at the Hopi Market? I got a beer at the movie. Oh, okay. Good. One beer yeah. per night? It was, no, it was my second beer of the night. I went at dinner and uh, a Green Man IPA, but it was, a, I didn't mean for it to be, but it was one of the tall cans. The, oh, you being one of those guys we talked about in the last alcohol episode. I know. <laughs> I know, probably a six and a half, seven percent beer, tall yeah, can. That's right. Well, as long as it's not every night. <laughs> suddenly I had five beers last night exactly. and I really only had two. <laughs> yep, and then your life falls apart, according to I you. I know, I know. All right, well, let's get focused here, Doug, on our uh, topic today. So with the, we're doing a replay episode, and uh-huh. uh, we are featuring someone who's been at Nomad Athlete forever, really longer than anyone except for me at Nomad Athlete, and that is longer Susan Lakey. What's that? Much longer than me. Yeah, longer than you, but not, not as long as me. <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not as long as you. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's Susan Lakey. She does our social media for the most part now. She used to write a whole lot for the site. And uh, she has a really cool story. Anyway, the reason we did this, she ended, she wrote the triathlon roadmap for a nomad athlete uh, probably about five years ago. And uh, we recently decided to remake that, and we put that into the Nomad Athlete Academy in kind of a new format, a little easier to consume, I hope, for people who want to run their first triathlon or do their first triathlon. So we did that, and then she made this toolkit thing, uh, kind of a guide for helping runners who want to become triathletes to handle the, the swimming and the biking portion. And doing that made us think of this episode that we had with her that we did. And it was a popular one. It was it was interesting because as many people know, but not everyone knows, Susan is deaf. And uh, in fact, I didn't know that. I had her... So, okay, back, let's back up the story up. How I Met Susan, the origin <laughs> story. Okay, this will be good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was doing Nomad Athlete. I think I was probably six months into it maybe maybe more than that i don't know and uh susan some just you know people just randomly emailed me things as i discovered once i started blogging and they would tell me stories but susan wrote this story about how she um got into triathlon running and for some reason i was really inspired by what she wrote i don't she didn't certainly didn't tell me she was deaf then uh just talked about the way she had gone from basically being a couch potato to being a triathlete and uh, I asked her to, you know, if she wanted to write her story in a guest post, and it turned out she did. And then she wrote another one, another one. She kept following up with me. She was very persistent and good. And I've learned since then that 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 quality about her, um, you know, wasn't just how she got herself to start writing for Nomad Athlete. She soon after she became a writer at Nomad Athlete, she became a writer for uh, what is a competitor magazine, mm-hmm. and then that whole family of magazines, and then triath triathlon or triathlete magazine i don't know i don't read the magazines that much but um yeah so she just kind of made herself a writer which i thought was really really cool in the same way that she made herself a triathlete uh she really just kind of started at the beginning and then kind of clawed her way to the top of each of those things which i think is a really really admirable quality and uh that's why i've always really appreciated her work and been inspired by what she does so anyway um susan ended up running her I, I don't know. If, is it running your triathlon? Is that right, Doug? You do a triathlon. You, you don't do run. a triathlon. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she ended up doing her triathlon. She did an Ironman about 20 months after she had not done anything, not even done a 5K, just couch yeah. potato, out of shape, uh, which I still don't understand how she possibly did that. 
<laughs> and and she it wasn't like the slowest Iron Man in history either. I mean, I think she you know yeah, did a respectable job doing it. I guess I think it was like seventeen hours. Does that sound right? That seems right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't thirteen, was it? I don't think so. I think yeah. it was seven. So anyway, I mean, I don't know anything about triathlon times, but you know, it's not like it's not like it took thirty hours to get this thing done. Um. So I don't know. I'm just amazed. I because at that point I had run a bunch of marathons, and. I don't know if I'd done my 50 miler yet or not, but I was still thinking about trying, doing a, an Ironman back then, and, and it just seemed like so much work. I thought, well, that's that's five years of work from where I am now to be able to swim like that and bike like that and do it all at the same day as the marathon. Uh, just this overwhelming task. And then I met Susan, and she just did it in, in <laughs> less than two years after getting off the couch and running a 5K. So that's really cool. Uh, there is a blog post on Nomad Athlete about her triathlon. I think it was said from couch potato to Ironman in 20 months. Uh very very cool story so check that out if you haven't yet um and i I was talking to her the other day about or we were emailing about um about the roadmap and i asked her how many triathlons she had done now and she said over 40 wow that's a lot of triathlons yeah that's a lot of triathlons (laughs) that's crazy because i think so i don't know i mean a lot of them are for her work i think because these these magazines Mm -hmm. send her around the world now and she does does them all over the place which is amazing yeah yeah it's it's awesome so anyway i think i think where i was going to that maybe was that I had her start, you know, but she became a part of Nomad Athlete. She was right a week for a long time in the early days. And uh, and so was I, and so was my sister, actually. We had this nice little three-person team. Uh, so that was fun. But then I podcasting started to get popular, got on my radar. This was 2010, maybe. And I emailed Susan and said, like, do you want to do a, like, start a podcast? It seems like it'd be great. Me and you just, you know, we both are kind of the voices of Nomad Athlete, and let's do it. And, uh... You know, she didn't respond and it took a long time. And eventually, I think she told me via email or something that, that she was deaf and that, you know, and which made the whole thing cooler, right? She had done all this great stuff, which I thought was so interesting and so inspiring. And then to find out that she did it being deaf. And when you think about it, you know, why should being deaf limit you with those things? And of course, it shouldn't. And that's a lot of what her message is, um, you know, is about how you how you adapt and how you you know, like, and I think she she traces a lot of this stuff, maybe even in this interview, Doug, I forget exactly the content of it, but I know it was a good one. Um, you know, this idea back to being told, like, why, you know, just not really listening to no, or not, not uh, necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, when someone tells you something has to be this way, she very naturally now just questions the, the limits and says, well, that, is that a real limitation? Or is that just sort of an artificial thing that I can, I can go around? So right. that's very cool. Um, and then the way we did this interview was, you, you explain, Doug. You probably know better than I do. I don't remember. <laughs> well, we so uh, we let's see. We wrote down questions and submitted them. Submitted them to her. She can read lips, so she sat down with someone in uh, you know her, her PR person, person I think, because because this was promoting her, her book, PR person, which was called "Life's Too oh, yeah, Short to right. Go Effing Slow" to avoid the explicit tag. So, so effing slow. slow. Um, and he read them to her and then she answered and responded. And then we got the audio file back and kind of cut ourselves in asking those questions and, and providing a little bit more mm-hmm. context around yeah some stuff. Um, so it was, it was, it was like a really interesting and neat experience for us too, because we asked them and then wait and then got the responses and then could respond to those responses, um, you know, in like a delayed way. I don't know. It was just, it was really, it was kind of a cool experience. It was fun. Too. And it turned, it turned out, out really good. Yeah. And I think it was the only time anyone 
ever called us true professionals at what we do. <laughs> she wrote back and said, uh, I guess because her publicist or whoever whoever was managing this listened to the episode and reported back to Susan that uh, that you know the guys who who did that with with you are are true professionals with the way they handled it. <laughs> so that well, the first and only awesome. time that has ever been said, I think. We should, that should be it a should tagline. Be. Yeah, Athlete Radio. Two professionals. Two professionals. <laughs> uh. Yeah, but um, I do want to. You kind of brushed over the whole toolkit thing here. Yes, and I, I assumed uh, we'd come I think back. It's to a good, but oh, okay. Go ahead. Well, it's pretty cool. So she put together this toolkit that's um, geared towards runners, so people who are already runners who you know maybe want to get into triathlon or want to get into cycling and swimming, but it just feels like too overwhelming or too you know you don't know anything about all the cycling gear just you know it's hard to get into that type of those sports sometimes they feel like and swimming, a big swimming you feel terrible at most runners who try swimming say wow i yeah. i thought i was in shape and i just couldn't do that at all and so out of shape yeah so it's a, it's a toolkit for for runners who who want to get into swimming and cycling with the triathlon mindset yes. um but it's i don't know it's great so everything from like swim stroke and swim etiquette tips to bike maintenance and you know how to buy a bike and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff so and it's, it's free cool. unlike most triathlons and it's free <laughs> that's true that's true uh you can get it at nomadathlete.com slash toolkit there you go nomadathlete.com slash toolkit for the free triathlon toolkit by susan lakey yeah good all right and then uh if you do that you'll you'll learn more about the triathlon roadmap which is actually the guide to doing your first triathlon start to finish sort of thing. that's exactly right Yep. Cool. All right. Anything else before we get to Susan's interview? I don't okay. think so. <laughs> well, then let's not yeah. ruin a perfectly good intro. <laughs> All, All right. right. Enjoy the Yeah. Enjoy. All right, Susan. So let's just go ahead and come out and address the obvious. We're not actually interviewing you live for this. Actually, we submitted these questions to you ahead of time so that someone could read them to you in person and then you could respond. Uh, you're deaf, but you read lips. That's why I am deaf, which is also why I have this accent. When you are deaf and you're born in Texas, you put those two together and that's just what comes out. But I really appreciate you being so accommodating on recording this podcast today. So, Susan, I remember when you came clean in a blog post on Nomad Athlete a while back, I think it was called something like The Power of Denial, where you talked about how denial was this really powerful tool, both as a deaf person and as an athlete or a triathlete. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you meant by that? It's funny when I think back on that, because I remember being so scared to out myself as a deaf person, because my whole career as a writer, nobody knew I was deaf. And it's not because I was hiding it, but it's just because it never came up. My whole life I have lived as if the deaf thing wasn't a thing. And that's the power of denial. My parents raised me with the belief that I could do anything I wanted to do. They never said, no, you can't do that because you're deaf. They said, okay, let's give it a try. And sometimes that meant that we had to work around circumstances. Like when I said I wanted to be in the band, um, obviously I can't hear a lot of what's going on in band. So 
my parents and I worked with the band director to sit in front of the big bass drum so that I could feel the beat and stay on tempo. And so it was never like, you can't because you're deaf. Instead, it was just like, okay, let's proceed as if this isn't an issue. And so it never has been an issue for me. There always is a workaround. And it's true for triathlon as well. I've never felt that I can't do triathlon because I'm deaf. My ears have nothing to do with what my legs are trying to accomplish. Yeah, it's funny. I, that explains so much to me now, Susan, about uh, your personality, about just why why you're the way you are and someone who, who kind of just won't settle for uh, being told no, which I think is awesome. We talk a lot about that in, in the Seth Godin philosophy on this podcast. Uh, of It's called Picking Yourself. And, uh, you know, basically that means just you're not waiting around for someone else to tell you this is okay or you're good enough or, you know, you are chosen and now you can go on and do this thing. You just do it. Uh, and, and so to us, you're such a great example of that picking yourself philosophy, not just with triathlon, but we, you mentioned your writing career as well. And that started, I think most people may know, that it started when you were actually the first person besides me who regularly wrote for the blog. You were just a reader, and uh, you one day emailed me, and we started a conversation, and that just led to you writing one blog post, which led to you writing many blog posts, which then led to you writing for more blogs, magazines, and now you've got this book out. Uh, and I think that's just such an amazing story of picking yourself. Can you talk a little bit about how that happened uh, from your perspective, and what is it that, that someone who might listening to this who might want to launch a career like yours, but they haven't been quote unquote picked by someone, just starting from scratch, just like you did, like what could they learn from you? You know, Matt, this is all your fault. You told me when I did my first marathon that you wanted to know how it went. And I took that literally. If you remember, I wrote you a really long race report in an email. And I remember you wrote back and said, this is great. Can I put it on the blog? And I had never thought of myself as much of a writer before. So for you to do that was surprising. And it was more surprising when people liked it and when people asked for more. And it opened up a lot of doors for me. Because of my start with you, I was noticed by the editor of a running magazine, and I was offered a column there. And that led to writing for even more magazines, which eventually led to me writing a book. And I don't know if so much that I chose myself as it is that I just allowed myself to see where the journey led. I was open to opportunity. If somebody asked me to write something for them, I said, sure, why not? Not going in with the expectation that I'm a writer and this is my career, but rather this is a cool opportunity. Let's have some fun with it and see where it goes. Not to brown nose or anything, but uh, Matt, I think there's probably a lot of people who uh, blame you for for them reaching their their goals over the years. <laughs> that, that is pretty brown nosey, does. <laughs> well, I don't know. I hope there are. I'm sure there's people who blame me for other things too, like the person who, like the guy Stephen, who uh, who I met in Amsterdam, who really big fan of the podcast, and uh, he actually blames us for getting him into beer. He told me, which which I was, <laughs> I, I thought was funny, but at the same time, I'm like this is supposed to be a healthy podcast. Uh, and we sprinkle in the beer stuff to kind of keep it light and fun. But uh, I don't know. I guess I guess we got to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's take a step back. I know that, uh, Susan, your, your story has been featured a lot on I Mean Athlete over the years. But if you're new to the, to the blog or to the podcast, uh, especially because we haven't really shared it much on the podcast, 
But if you're a new reader or listener, then you probably haven't heard much about Susan's story. So Susan, why don't you just share a little bit about how you got into triathlon? Well, it actually was a cigarette that got me into triathlon, believe it or not. I was smoking outside my office one day when my boss sat down next to me. And he asked me if he could have a drag of my cigarette. And that surprised me because he was a very active, a very driven, healthy individual who did Ironman triathlon. But I still handed my cigarette over to him and he smiled at me and stubbed it out in the ashtray. Now, that really pissed me off. And he insisted that I didn't need to smoke, that I needed to find better ways of coping with my stress. And he suggested that I join him for swimming laps in the campus pool, which was his outlet for stress. And even though I thought it was the dumbest thing I had ever heard in my life, he was still my boss. And so I wanted to get on his good side, so I agreed to go swim laps with him. And the rest, as they say, is history. Right. And of course, that is the same Carlos about whom uh, a large part of what your new book is about. It's about your relationship with him. But what was it about that encounter with Carlos and your relationship with him that that made you actually listen? Like, why did that go beyond just some some random guy nagging you about getting in shape, which people happen, you know, happens to people all the time? Why did why was this different? Well, he was a random dude who nagged me to get into shape, but he was also the person who believed in me when I wasn't believing in myself. I really was in a difficult part of my life where I felt like everything was falling apart. And that really knocked my self-confidence around tremendously. And so when Carlos came into my life and he said, you know, I believe that you can do better. I believe that you can be better and I'm going to help you get there. It was something that was very appealing to me. It was something that I needed in my life. I needed structure. I needed somebody to push me. I needed an ass kicking in the worst kind of way. So even though it was uh, something that was quite alarming to me at the time. You know, I was an overweight teen smoker um, being pressured to go swimming and start running. It really was the best thing that could have happened to me. And what do you think other people can learn from your relationship with Carlos? The biggest thing that I've taken away from my relationship with Carlos is that it really matters when you have somebody in your corner unconditionally. When you have a cheerleader, a mentor, someone who believes in you, even when you don't believe, that you can do it. And that's something that I try to do for the other people in my life. I try to be their cheerleader. I try to listen to their big ideas and say, that sounds amazing. How can I help? Even if I'm not entirely sure that person can do it, I'm not going to say that. That's not my role. My role is to lift them up and to support them and to be their cheerleader because I know that when I had somebody who did that for me, it changed my life. Obviously, I would not be where I am today if it hadn't been for that cigarette that Carlos stopped out. I never would have gone swimming with him. I never would have learned about Ironman triathlon. I never would have started running. I never would have written for you or any magazine. I never would have had a book. My life changed because of that one cigarette outside of my office that day. And so really, 
when I look back at all the changes that have happened over the last 10 years, I'm grateful, I'm thankful for that one cigarette. Yeah, I think that it's amazing and it's not surprising because uh, so many of your blog posts, Susan, that you've written for Nomad Athlete over the years have that that kind of undercurrent to them that is about uh, supporting others and being supported. I think the only posts on Nomad Athlete that are actually about how to be a good spectator uh, are written by you, of course. So no surprise there. Um, I do want to shift you. I mean, you've done amazing things with triathlon and now ultra running, and I want to get into that so that people can can take some inspiration, maybe some tips from what you've been able to accomplish there. Um, before we do though, can you tell us a little bit more about your book? The book is called Life Too Short to Go So Slow, and it's titled after something that Carlos said on a bike ride that we were on together. A lot of the book is these stories about the various ways that Carlos pushed me to be better. It's also about the way that our friendship changed and evolved over 10 years as Carlos transitioned from somebody who was a 13-time Iron Man to somebody fighting colon cancer. And Carlos passed away two years ago, and when he was in his last stages of his life, we were all gathered in his hospice room, all of his friends and families, and we were telling stories about Carlos. And a lot of these stories were really, really deeply moving, but they were also funny. And when the hospice nurse came into the room and said, I've never heard so much laughter coming out of a hospice room before, that got me thinking, maybe I need to be writing this down. Maybe this is something that uh, will help me carry on Carlos's lessons and legacy. It very naturally progressed into a book, which is um, what is out today. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. Now, as I've been flipping through your book over the past few days, just kind of really trying to dive into it, I can I can see both that that tribute and how you're kind of honoring Carlos, but also just we can feel that relationship that you guys had, and and it makes you makes me want to want to really be able to kindle some sort of relationship with someone else and just really be that cheerleader, be that support, be that rock for, for somebody else. So I'm really glad you're able to share the, his story and, and your relationship with, uh, with all of us. All right, so we definitely want to discuss your achievements with triathlon. Uh, you have long been the resident Nomad Athlete triathlete. Since Matt and I aren't triathletes, we have relied very heavily on you and your expertise in the sport. But you really jumped into it headfirst, right? In less than two years, you went from a self-described couch potato who was having a cigarette with Carlos to an Ironman finisher. And that is that is pretty darn fast. I don't know that I know any other way. I don't do things cautiously. I don't do things progressively. When I am in, I am all in. And that's true for anything in my life. So... It really wasn't surprising to a lot of people in my life that I went all in so quickly, uh, given that I am just a very driven person by nature. So, I mean, I know that's your personality, but is that something you would recommend for for other new triathletes to go to go so big so quickly? It's not the worst idea ever. No, it worked out for me, obviously, and very well, I might add. But it's also an individual decision. A lot of people want to do triathlon. They want to have that finisher medal hanging around their neck. They want to say, I am an Ironman, but they don't want to do the work to get there. And so it's absolutely possible to go 
on the fast track from couch potato to Iron Man, but you really have to be willing to do the work. It's not about the finisher medal. It's about what it takes to get there. I get that. And you can you can work your butt off for, for two years and maybe build up the fitness to, you know, something, I guess, to what it takes to finish an Ironman. But for me, like as a runner, there was so much that came from experience. Like just, I feel like just being a runner for, for I don't know, seven, eight years, the difference between me then and me at the beginning, sure, tons of that was physical, but a whole lot of it was mental and just stuff that came from experience, from making mistakes in races, from going out too fast, from learning how painful that was, learning to listen to my body, all those different things, learning how to eat, those things that I kind of feel like only came with experience. Uh, I mean, do you, are there things you wish you would have known or had that experience with before the first Ironman when you kind of look back on it now? Or was it better just to ignore all that and kind of be, be uh, you know, blissfully naive and just go right into it? I was fortunate in that when I started training for Ironman, I was surrounded by people who knew what they were doing. Not just Carlos, but all of our friends who had been in triathlon for several years. So I had this wealth of resources available to me where I could ask questions, where I could have someone tell me that I made a dumb mistake and here's how to fix it. I was really able to draw from other people and get their support. So if there's one thing that I would recommend to a new triathlete is to find people who know more than you about triathlon and to ask them for help. Don't be too proud or too stubborn or try to go it alone. You absolutely want to lean on the people who know more. Right. And that goes back to what I mentioned before, that whole just support friendship role. And that's that's one of the central messages of your book, right? Absolutely. You know, a lot of people have said that this is a book about triathlon or that this is a book about how triathlon changed your life. And it's not what changed my life. Triathlon and running have been very good to me. But the thing that changed my life was the friendship that I gained with Carlos as a result of riding 100 miles on a bike or going on these really long trail runs in the desert of going to all of these races with our group of friends, having these shared experiences together was really what helped me to grow and evolve as a person. All right, so as the token ultra guy, I don't know if I can say that mad or not, but um, I'd be remiss not to bring up the fact that you just ran a 50-mile ultra marathon. That's awesome. Congratulations. What do you think? I actually loved it. It was very hard. It was very long. There was a dust storm that blew in about halfway through that had 45 mile per hour sustained wind, and that part kind of sucked. But I also felt a tremendous sense of satisfaction when it was over, and that was a really cool thing to experience. So it probably won't be my last ultramarathon. Well, good. I'm so glad you liked your first ultra marathon. And, you know, as an ultra runner, I have this kind of perception of what triathletes are like and what, you know, big, big city triathlons and Ironmans are like. And I, I just picture this kind of, I don't know, all this gear and all these people who 
have invested all kinds of money and time into it. Like, were you struck at all by the differences between showing up at an ultramarathon versus what you're used to in, in triathlon, in triathlon? When you go to the race expo for a triathlon, it's a big production. There are a lot of tables, there's a lot of gear, there's a lot of uh, what we call peacocking, where people walk around and, you know, strut their stuff. There's a lot of ego in triathlon. And that can be a good thing. That can be very fun. It can be very entertaining. It can also be very motivating, which is cool. There's really no production like a triathlon, especially an Ironman. And on the other hand, when I went to pick up my race packet for my ultramarathon, they handed me a bib and a couple of safety pins. And then they said, here is a wag bag in case you need to take a shot. And that was it. It was very low-key, very uh, casual, very relaxed, and people really didn't have a lot of ego there. Everybody was welcome. Uh, there was real no, there, there was really no peacocking. It just was just fun, cool, let's go out and see what our bodies can do type of thing. And that was refreshing. They're very different, but they're both equally great communities. Uh, Doug, I don't know if you agree that that is more or less exactly uh, the way that I pictured an Ironman event going down and, and the type of people that, <laughs> I mean, and I guess it sounds like Susan thinks uh, that is good. I, personally, that's why I choose ultra running. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'm much of a strutter. No, I don't know. But but uh, some people are. And I think some people, like Susan said, that uh, that that is really motivating to some, to the right person. And at, and at the yeah. right time, too. For me, like in the early days, those rock and roll marathons were just so exciting with all that big action and activity and the big hubbub around it. And now I'd, I'd much rather do something quieter and, you know, <laughs> where nobody notices. <laughs> anyway, Susan, uh, what uh, what's next for you? What's next in 2018? I'm doing a 24-hour race uh, in January, which I'm really excited about. And I'm actually working on my second book right now. And one of the thing that I'm really excited about is this book is an exploration of all of the different forms that running can take. So I'm spending the next year traveling the world and participating in a lot of different races and running events to experience running beyond just the 5k and the marathon. It's really so much more and I'm really excited for all of these adventures and misadventures. Yeah, sounds sounds Susan like you've got it really tough for the next year. I really feel bad for you having to having to travel all around the world and run and do all kinds of crazy races. So <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. I, I, I think that's pretty neat. It it really sounds awesome. Uh, congratulations, Susan, on everything. This is this is amazing. I'm just so happy to see you have re- you know, reaching this level and and having a book come out and all the great stuff that's happening with your career and with your uh, now with your running. And uh, just very, very appreciative for you uh, taking the time to do this for Nomad Athlete Radio. Thank you. It's really great to be on this podcast. I love you guys. All right. So that was that was cool. That was a different style interview for us. It was for a sure. first, for sure. A, a, a first, for sure. But that was that was pretty cool. And it's great to uh, great to hear Susan talk about her achievements. And uh, and I'm just I'm you know I like I said I, I got the book and I've started reading it and I'm really excited to fully dive in um and if you want to get the book you can pick it up right we uh, we're linking to it in the show notes on nomadathlete.com and i think you could also get it at on her website is that right yeah velopress.com or susanlakey.com lakey is l-a-c-k-e 
and uh, she's got a link to it there. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just I do want to reiterate, she's been such a huge part of Nomad Athlete, especially in the early days when she was writing. I mean, she was writing a post a week for a long time, and uh, and now she handles almost all of our social media and uh, still writes for us now and then. Wrote our triathlon roadmap guide with me. Uh, so just you know, she's been a huge part of this brand, and uh, of course, I would love it if you uh, would check out her book. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next week. All right. Sounds good. Bye, everyone.